Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Good afternoon or late morning, everyone. This is Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again for the last week in Mortgage Today, our weekly whirlwind through all things mortgage industry, uh, which we do uh, every Tuesday at two o'clock Easter. And um, see a few people still getting logged on, but let's go ahead and get started with today's program and uh, want to start out today's program by uh, giving special thanks to a sponsor of uh, today's podcast, the first. So uh, I don't know what that means, but uh, that is a good thing. And we certainly are grateful to our sponsor today of this episode, our good friends and TMC preferred partner, MGIC, and I uh, want to welcome in their VP of National Accounts, Jerry Warmester. And uh, Jerry, uh, would love your perspective real quick here on uh, certainly unique times for the mortgage industry. And, uh, you know, would love to know, you know, how the MI industry is looking at all the things that make this climate so unique and what MGIC is leading with right now uh, to support mortgage lenders, uh, your clients and prospective clients, uh, in the marketplace. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rich. And thank you to the TMC team. Uh, and nice to meet you, Amy, uh, on the panel today. Uh, competing beer cities, we learned, Asheville, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, um, so MJC became an MI preferred vendor, as Rich just indicated, in January of this year. So it's been quite a roller coaster world of events, given the pandemic and the lack of uh, face-to-face convention, but at the same time, these opportunities uh, avail ourselves to meet members of the of the TNT network, and we thank you for um, the warm reception that you, Rich, and Tom, and and Jim, and the whole team has availed us as a new preferred vendor. So, our um, our main focus, quite frankly, for twenty twenty. Uh, has been production volume. We, through the end of uh, October, have, or through the end of September, have already insured uh, like 115 billion in volume, which is almost twice what we typically would insure in a normal year. Obviously, generated by all the purchase activity, the low interest rates, and of course, the refi activity. So really our priority was to escalate our options for insuring mortgages because of the double production. We escalated um, opportunities within our underwriting field force, both for MI full file submissions and providing a expedient turn time because turn times have been critical in this market and certainly delegated uh, MI uh, turn times uh, almost instantaneously. So we launched some new technology and created opportunities to uh, meet the demands of our customer. Probably the other large component is we launched risk-based pricing, uh, latter part of, um, or in the middle of 2019. And that together with uh, our peers has turned out to be primary means of being able to obtain rate quotes and those rates have been moving around. Um, obviously, we went into the year with uh, great projections and then the pandemic hit. So there was some volatility in the rates. 
but at the same time, we escalated the rate returns and the timing so that they were expedited uh, to our customers. And the other option is we customize uh, rate cards. If the, our client was interested in a, a specific means of a, a defined rate card as opposed to the volatility of risk-based pricing. So some of the other tools that MJC has built their reputation on really over the last 60 years is their training. Uh, we post a monthly calendar for our clients and we take those uh, training sessions now occur almost all WebEx uh, where before we would typically train in the lenders uh, in the lender shop. So uh, we have a wide variety of opportunities. In spite of the volume, we've done a ton of training this year for our, uh, new underwriting hires, processing, operation, uh, closing, so and certainly new loan officer um, training sessions. So that's been a priority with us, and we welcome any opportunity with the participants on this call to uh, build a curriculum specific for them, which is another uh, objective of MJC. Couple of other things, uh, a lot of lead generation, although most lenders today have had more volume than they've been able to even navigate through. But at some point, lead generation will have a new priority. So we have DPA analytics and a partnership with uh, DPA. We also have loan officer lead generation opportunities and customization uh, of flyers and tools that they can use with their local realtor. So a couple other items um, would be uh, our lender landscape tool, which we will feature uh, with a short brief session during the 12 days of TMC, which we're all looking for. I think um, certainly as vendors and all the participants here on this call. So we'll feature some of the lead generation tools and opportunities uh, with our lender landscape. With that, uh, our MJC account managers, for those that are customers on this call, we thank you for your business. And for those that we may not have a relationship with, we'd like to build your trust. And myself or our MJC account managers would welcome the opportunity to chat. And with that, I'll flip it back to you, Rich, unless there's any further questions. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for the updates and uh, some exciting stuff at MJC. You guys have been such a pillar of stability in an industry that really doesn't have right. a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I always worked for banks prior to this job and, uh, you know, just approving your counterparties that I always did business with MGIC because the bank loved MGIC on the insurance side just because of the uh, stability, leadership, balance sheet, and uh, the training side. Great point. We've put new employees through some of your training, just, you know, maybe some employees we've hired at TMC or uh, that have not had a ton of mortgage experience. Uh, just some of the stuff you guys are doing on the training side uh, has been excellent as well for many years. Thank so, you. Yeah. Thank you for that. We walk on that opportunity. Yeah. Appreciate the uh, partnership and the sponsorship of today's episode. Yeah. And more than welcome to hang out as I get. I will. Some, yeah. Uh, yeah. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. And uh, I, I failed to initially introduce my co-host, uh, each week on this episode, I kind of handpicked a co-host from our Lender Member Network, um, somebody I know will bring more insight than me <laughs> to the show. Uh, and uh, this week, I'm really excited to have my friend and longtime TMC member, uh, president of Beverly Hanks Mortgage Services, Amy Hanks, uh, joining us. Amy, thank you. 
Thanks, Rich. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. And you get two and a half hours of me today because uh, Amy's part of one of our collab lab groups, one that I've been moderating for like three or four years now. Uh, we've had three two-hour sessions already, um, just uh, her and 14 other presidents or CEOs of independent mortgage banks talking about everything. The labs have been such a huge part of who we are. And uh, so, Amy, you got you got a, a lot of FaceTime with me today. So. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> So um, I guess I want to start by, we got to start with the election, right? I mean, we've been talking about it on this show now for many weeks. And I think just given what an insane year 2020 has been in general, we, we predicted that there would be, it was, it was highly unlikely to be a you know, drama-free uh, presidential election. And uh, as, as sure as can be, uh, you know, looked at, at on election night, uh, I finally fell asleep at about 11. It looked like Trump was going to win at that point. Um, you know, I like to place the occasional wager. So I was looking, what I look at is the the live betting odds on the elect, which if you really want to know what's going on, that will tell you. And when I went to bed at about 11 o'clock on election night, Trump was minus 700, which means you would have bet, had to have bet $70 to win 10 on Trump winning. <laughs> At 8.15 the next morning, Trump was like a 10 to 1 underdog. Um, and now, of course, the ensuing political battle. But uh, bringing it all back around to how it impacts us, our industry, um, it looks as if we're going to have a change in the White House to a Democrat. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would just like to get your, I guess, your initial thoughts as the uh, – head of a mortgage banking company, like, you know, politics aside, your original reaction to things that could change and uh, how that could impact our, our industry. Well, I definitely think um, with there being a little bit of separation of powers from the way it looks like the Senate race has gone, um, that that definitely helped um, the markets and a lot of people to feel like that you've still got um, quite a bit of, um, ability for them to be able to to have both sides negotiating for what they want. So um, anybody coming in and making a lot of changes quickly is probably uh, not going to happen. So, um, you know, with some of Biden's um, thoughts on where he wants to go and possibly seeing changes in some of the heads of the organizations that that rule our world, um, all of that can definitely make some changes over the next couple of years. But I do think um, along with the announcement yesterday of um, the vaccine from Pfizer, the markets reacting so positive is is definitely helping, I think, with consumer confidence and being able to keep moving forward in some of the things that people were already planning to do if there was not any big, huge change. So um, I think that can be a good thing. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Absolutely. Yeah. Stock market loves this outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people thought, oh, stock market wants Trump, stock market wants Trump. I think what happened is evidenced by what the stock market has done is what the market wanted. I mean, this is almost the ideal scenario. You have a Republican Senate, so it'll be un harder for Biden to uh, implement, um, in theory, policies that would be not great for business. Um, and at the same time, 
uh, a president that will likely be a little bit more proactive uh, with the pandemic uh, that could get businesses maybe back to operating more normally uh, soon. So uh, clearly uh, the stock market liked it. And as it relates to our industry, you know, I think the two biggest things that at least I've heard from our members, um, one is the CFPB. What happens with the future of the CFPB? Uh, we were hopeful to get their director, uh, Kathy Craninger, uh, to speak at our 12 Days of TMC event that's coming up in December. Uh, we thought we had her. She's an Ohio native. I, I tried even that angle, um, but, you know, got the decline notice the day after <laughs> the election. Um, so certainly probably a change there. And then, of course, uh, the FHFA, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, certainly a priority of the Trump administration and the head of the FHFA, Mark Calabria, to get those organizations out from under the government thumb, um, you know, and uh, away from being private kind of government funded companies. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there was a statement that came out from FHFA saying kind of like all systems ahead in terms of, uh, uh, you know, getting Fannie and Freddie out of conservatorship. But you would think if Biden does go on to become the president, the chances of, F of Fannie and Freddie, um, you know, being, depri uh, be being deprivatized is highly unlikely would be my guess, just because of what it takes to, I mean, it, it would, it takes, it, there's so much to that, um, that it really takes a top down concerted effort. And we were on the path there, but I just, to me, I, I can't see that happening anymore. Yeah, I agree. I think that if um, if it all stays as they're saying right now, I think the likelihood of that is going to be I think it's going to shut that down for a while. And, you know, I, I understand the reasons why Calabria and others want to deprivatize the agencies. Ultimately, right now, the government is on the hook. You know, if we had another redux of the meltdown, 07, 08 meltdown, we know the government, the, the amount of money they had to shell out to bail out the mortgage industry. That's what that what drives the people that want to deprivatize Fannie and Freddie. I'll tell you what, if you asked our lender members, just, you know, people in your position that run mortgage companies, Joe Lender uh, across America, they don't want any change. I mean, you know, I have something to do, but, you know, having the government backing Fannie and Freddie is a good thing for mortgage lenders in the mortgage lending industry, right? Yeah. And I think having them um, in that form during COVID made a huge difference. If they had not been, um, I'm not sure that we would have been able to jump and recover as quickly as we did. Um, That's Great point. I mean, if they're public companies, right, that are all that are controlled by shareholders and boards, um, well, who knows what they would have done? It may have been the same thing, but it was huge. I would agree with that. So um, the CFPB. So, you know, your company is unique in that. So I guess let me start there because it'll frame some of the discussion that we're going to have here. And uh, before I go there, I'm with Amy Hanks, the president of Beverly Hanks Mortgage Services. And uh, for our attendees that are with us here, please feel free. Any questions, comments, don't hesitate uh, to pump those in via the chat or the Q&A. Uh, we'll be happy to voice them aloud. But <clears throat> Uh, Beverly Hanks Mortgage uh, Services, uh, part of a broader uh, entity uh, that is uh, a real estate brokerage and a mortgage company, which gives you unique uh, perspective on the industry that I'm going to 
glean some of that out of your brain here in a moment, but uh, um, there's certain regulatory tentacles. Um, yeah, I know just, you know, being a former lender and having marketing services agreements with real estate brokerages, we had to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop after hoop to keep those compliant and legal. It was pre-Trump during the Obama administration. But now as we go into, in theory, another Democratic presidency, another Democratic CFPB likely coming, um, how do you look at that? Um, you know, I mean, there's, uh, you know, you, RESPA and, you know, so a lender that uses Beverly Hanks real estate, um, they can't feel like they're being steered towards a mortgage, right? At Beverly Hanks Mortgage Services, correct? Right, right. So you you disclose all your affiliated businesses. So our title company, our mortgage company, all of that is disclosed to the borrower. Um I do think that, um, you know, regulation um, was definitely heavier during the Obama years. And with the CFPB, when they came through, um, a lot of people started really moving away from marketing agreements um, that we were um, a broker for the first 12 or 13 years of our existence and then decided around that time to go ahead and become a lender for that reason instead of going the um, marketing agreement route is that it just it it didn't feel as clean and as easy because you just have a hard time uh, justifying the numbers for what you're getting back um, with some of those agreements and and we knew other real estate owners who had them and I can tell you there were some out there for some of those big guys that I'm not sure those numbers would have would have flown. So I think that a lot of those did get um, more um, looked at and, and people that had them, I think did clean them up quite a bit. Um, but it'll be interesting because if we go back to that idea of more regulation or more um, focus on what the consumers are, um, then that, that could definitely change um, a little bit of that arena. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be one of many interesting things to keep an eye on uh, as we get into the final months of this year and and in the next year. And, uh, you know, talking about next year, uh, I want to get your thoughts on a few things. Again, being in a unique position, being close to the real estate and the mortgage side of the business. Um, and let's start with the real estate side. Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit on these calls, just about some of the emerging technology on the real estate brokerage side of things, you know, talking about if it's virtual showings or, uh, virtual inspections, and obviously a lot more e-signing of stuff. Uh, uh, we'd just be interested in your perspective on the evolution that we've seen over the last year or so uh, on the emerging tech side and the real estate side of the business. Yes. Yeah, so we definitely, when COVID hit, um, the our, our real estate company definitely jumped. Um, there were a lot of um, technology and things out there, but they weren't all getting utilized quite yet, um, which reminds me on the, on the mortgage side um, with e-closings. And a lot of those things quickly became um, tools that people started using. So um, the virtual, um, for people to look at properties virtually, the marketing videos, um, the way that we market um, without people having to go into the homes, um, the inspections, just a number. We have a lot of people who are walking in the property for the first time 
the day of closing or a day before closing. Um, and it's really incredible to see how many people um, are buying property that way. So um, I do think that COVID has accelerated um, the use of a lot of trends and a lot of tools that, that were out there and, and now are at the forefront. Uh, we have in, we as a company have invested in new technology on the real estate side that is really um, working um, technology through the MLS that basically helps for the customers to work with the agents and it, it, it continues to take properties they like. And it will start to, as things come on the market, it just pushes it all to them based on their likes. And so you're just seeing um, customers really um, get a lot of data through technology. So um, it's it's definitely um, changed that field. But I think a lot of sellers like that they don't have people coming in and out of their houses just tons and tons of times. They would rather have a buyer who is um, ready to close. And so I think that spills over into the mortgage industry that um, we're going to have to continue to do things to have people pre-approved, have them ready to go, have them um, in a position to be able to buy. Um, I know my, you know, inventory is a big issue. And when I look at some of the things they're proposing for, um, tax credits for first-time home buyers, things of that nature. When we don't have any inventory, it's not going to help. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things you look at with builders is um, the cost to construct has gone has skyrocketed through COVID. So lumber is a fifth of your building cost, and it's up 60% in the last six months. Um, builders are, are, you know, having to change their pricing. Um, and when you try to get into building for more affordable homes, you, you know, that change, your margins are already much tighter. So there's a lot of domino effects going on in the market um, with the ability. I know I saw a stat two days ago, we're at uh, 2.3 months overall for all our inventory. And um, that's extremely low. And um, one of my loan officers told me last week she she did a, a pre-qual letter for some buyers or a pre-approval letter for some buyers that she'd been working with. And they were up against, there were 15 offers, um, 15 multiple offers on one property. Getting <laughs> so. ready to start looking at buying a house. This is just all depressing to me. But uh, <laughs> um yeah, it's such a good point. Um, I have long been a proponent of some sort of, uh, if it's incentive or, you know, for home builders to buy, to build lower priced homes. Uh, you know, I think what's happening, the inventory issue has been well chronicled in, in the housing industry for a long time. Um, and the lack of uh, affordable options for first time home buyers. And I think your point is good. Thinking about a first time home buyer tax credit, there's not a lot of good options out there for first-time home buyers to buy um, because of the, the cost to construct a home under. It just doesn't really make sense for builders to build $200,000 homes. Uh, yet we're losing all these homes. The dilapidated homes are being wiped off the, you know, rent or, you know, demolished and made into other things and they're being replaced with exclusively 
half million dollar homes from Lennar and Toll Brothers and Pulte. And so, you know, I don't know what I'm not smart enough to know what the answer is there other than I think something needs done, you know. So, well, there's definitely a push with the on the real estate side of more affordable housing and and a push to be able to get people in home ownership for a, for a number of reasons. But um, inventory is definitely going to continue to play a huge part in trying to make that work. Another reason Fannie and Freddie staying under the government thumb, I think they can be a part of the solution there with some sort of, um, you know, program or products for construction of homes under a certain dollar figure um, that, you know, I think it'd be part of it on the lending side and help incent builders as well to build those homes. But uh, um, another thing I want to pick your brain on other trends you've seen from home buyers. Uh, one of the things we talked about in our lab group, I think in the last session, was just I wanted to get everybody's sense of trends they were seeing with younger home buyers and home buyers since the pandemic hit. What have you seen on that side, just different tendencies and trends that people are looking for in homes that they're buying or building. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because several years back um, after the recession, everyone was going to, we need a smaller home. We don't need that much of a home. Um, since the pandemic, um, it, it's interesting that you have so many people that are, it's not just a place you go at night, right? So um, it's really changed. We're seeing a lot of people search by features, not location. Um, people not having to commute, um, being able to work from home. They're really looking at um, wanting to change um, and have a home that has a lot of different, such as an office, outside amenities, if they have kids, um, there's a lot of things like that that have really changed what people are looking for. Um, we're seeing a lot of people that want to get out of more urban areas and get to suburbs and, and areas that um, are, are not as highly populated or, or you know, so it's, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, we also feel that there's going to be a lot of switch with um, employers offering things to their employees to help them work at home. So some of that may be additional um, ability for them to move or buy homes or do renovation, help pick up their internet, all kinds of things that they're going to do to compete to keep the employees they want. And so as a lender, I think we're going to see more and more of that, that you normally would only see in like a reload type package. I think that may become more of something you see with just all kinds of businesses offering their employees. Absolutely. Um, got a couple minutes left. Uh, got to get your thoughts on just the 2021 purchase market and spring buying season in general. This year was weird. There was no spring buying season. Now we've seen this elongated like June to now uh, summer, fall <laughs> uh, buying season. Yeah. doesn't it feel it's going going down a little bit, but it really hasn't stopped. Um, uh, how do you look at the purchase market next year? I think most of the projections are purchases will be up 5 to 10%, depending on who you're looking at. Um, yeah, so how do you see the purchase market in general next year? And do you see it reverting back to a more traditional spring buying season? with the more normal ebbs and flows uh, that, that we've historically seen? 
Well, I definitely think 2021 will be a little more normal. I, I, normal is, uh, I'm a little scared to even use that word. Um, but I do think some of that may play into schools. So if schools stay virtual after the first of the year, we find that people are not as much following this calendar of, of spring, you know, um, into summer and moving at times when their kids are are in different segments of school. And so with all the online virtual schools, you're you're definitely seeing that the mindset has changed a little bit when people are doing things. People are also home all the time. So you don't have this feeling of of seasons as much. But um but the predictions hopefully are especially if we have a a, a vaccine and we come out of a lot of, you know, don't go back to a lot of people having to stay in as much and people can travel a little bit more. I do think we'll see a little more normal uh, buying season. And we do anticipate that the buying should continue to be strong and, and up. So. Excellent points, Amy. And uh, thank you for being my co-pilot this week. Uh, greatly appreciated all the uh, outstanding insight on both the real estate and the mortgage industry. And uh, thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. And uh, thank you to our attendees uh, for joining us here for the last week in Mortgage Today. Uh, we'll be back here same time, uh, same place, two o'clock Eastern next Tuesday. And thanks once again to our uh, podcast session sponsor and uh, TMC preferred partner, MGIC and Jerry Warmister. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you guys all next week. Have a great week, everyone. For more information Take about care. how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.